0: Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Continuing in this series, uh, Encounters with Jesus, and we're going to look at a text from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And the title of today's sermon is Jesus Encounters Faith. What I'd like us to look at is the drama of faith. All of us, or most of us, like a good drama. If you're going to watch a movie or a television program, if you're going to read a book, you're going to watch a play, we like those plays, those television programs, those stories that include good character development, that include good dramatization, that give us a reason to be attentive to the storyline of either the characters or the drama narrative. We like that. Now, We don't necessarily like drama in our own lives, right? I mean, you know, there there can be too much drama in families and in workplace situations, but when we're watching from afar, drama is just fine because we're mere observers. We all like a good drama. In this text, what we're going to discover is the drama of faith. We're going to see some characters and the role they played in this story about faith. I just want to say at the outset, Jesus is the central figure in this drama of faith. He's the focus. He's the attention. He is the one who is needed, and He is the one who answers the need. So this sermon is truly all about Jesus. Read with me this wonderful text about Jesus encountering faith, and then we'll explore some of the characters that we find here. Chapter 7 of Gospel of Luke, verse 1. After He had finished all His sayings in the hearing of the people, He entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal a servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built for us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. Don't lose sight of that phrase. That is tremendously important. We'll come back to it in a moment. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go and he goes, and to another, come and he comes, and to my, and, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, don't, lose, don't miss this, He marveled. Jesus, the Son of God, King of kings, sovereign over all things, the knower of all things, He marveled in astonishment. He marveled. At him, and he turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Now, look at some characters. The first character is this the dying servant needed Jesus. This centurion that had heard about Jesus had a servant who was unwell, and this unwell servant needed a miracle. He was to the point of death. He was at a place in his physical life where unless a miracle happened, he was not going to make it. The dying servant needed Jesus. He was beyond the aid of a doctor or a nurse. Uh, The medicine of the first century was not sufficient to rescue his life. He was dying and he was in need of a miracle. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is a miracle worker. The dying servant needed Jesus. I wonder if you know some people who need Jesus. And we automatically think of those who are health challenged. I know some of you in this room have experienced significant health challenges in your recent history or maybe in the last several years. You've gone through some things that caused you to be nervous and concerned. Some of you have come to me and we've prayed over those situations. And God has intervened, He has helped, He has aided, He has strengthened. And that's what Jesus does. Some of us know some people that have been on the cusp of death and the only thing we could do is bring them to the Lord Jesus. And sometimes God chooses miraculously to intervene and heal like He did in this story. But, But let me commend to you this. All of us know people who are dying who need Jesus. And I don't just mean physically dying. I don't just mean the miraculous physical healing that would amaze us all as watchers of people who are dealing with health challenges. I mean, we know people who are spiritually dying, spiritually dead. And the only hope that they have is resurrection in Jesus. I wanted you to just keep in your mind the reality that all of us know someone who is dying or some ones who are dying and the only hope that they have is Jesus. We'll come back to that. So, the dying servant needed Jesus. I'll give you another character that we find in the text, the centurion. The centurion modeled faith in Jesus. And the type of faith that he had is just astounding. And I think it's because there had been some things that changed in this centurion's life prior to this incident. He was a changed man. What was the centurion? The centurion was a responsible Roman officer for a hundred Roman Soldiers. That's why he was called a centurion. At this particular stage, though, in Jewish history and in the Roman Empire's rule over the Jews, there were not stationed garrisons of Roman uh, soldiers. So it's likely that this centurion had come under the employ of someone like Herod Antipas or another uh, political leader in the land who used people who were outside of the Jewish race, who used some Romans in kind of private employ. And this particular centurion was probably someone that was used in that scenario and he was responsible there to a particular leader and responsible for those underneath him. William Barclay says this about Roman centurions, "...they must not be so much seekers after danger as men who can command. They should be steady in action, reliable." They ought not to be over-anxious to rush into the fight, but when hard-pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and die at their posts. The Roman Empire was an empire that grew uh, through military might. If you study uh, their, their history of their development from Rome all across the known world at this particular point in history, the reason that they succeeded is because they would never give up. If they lost an army, they'd raise another army they lost that army, they'd raise a third army and a fourth army until they finally overwhelmed the nations and the surrounding armies that were around them. They were a violent people. And to be a Roman centurion meant that there was no chance in a battle you could turn your back and retreat. You're going to stay at your post and you were going to die if necessary because that's what you were as a Roman centurion. So this man had a reputation for being strong, diligent, and hard. But there are also some things in this text that underscore something had happened to this man's heart. I believe he was a changed man. I believe there was something that had taken place prior to this story that reflected a change in character and nature for several reasons. One, he cared about his servant. That was not typical in the Roman world. Slaves were treated like property. They had a a little more opportunity for freedom than maybe what we would think about as slavery in our context or in the context of American history. But they were still not treated well. Oftentimes, a Roman slave, when they would wear out, when they would get to the point of death, when they would get to the point where they could not do their job anymore... A Roman master would simply cast them out for them to die on the side of the road or on the street, would not care for them, would not love them. This centurion had compassion on a slave. There was something interior in his life that longed for this particular servant to be healed. He had a servant that he cared for. He was also a humble man. He said on at least two occasions in this text, he was not worthy. He, was, he contrasted the, the Jewish elders later on would say he's worthy to Jesus. He's worthy for you to do this for Him. And the Roman centurion, his reply in the context of that type of conversation said, I'm unworthy. I don't even need to be around you. I don't deserve to have you in my presence. He reflected a sense of humility that he was not worthy of being in the presence of greatness and of Jesus Not only that, but he was a man who recognized and respected Jewish religion and Jewish culture. The text tells us that this particular centurion had, of his own financial well-being, supported the local synagogue. Local synagogues were raised up either from the local... Uh, group of Jewish people or from benefactors that would help build the synagogue and, and it was not all that uncommon for Romans to participate in the building of Jewish synagogues. It served political interests in their in their situation. But we can tell a cynic when we see a cynic we can we can see someone who is motivated. By, uh, by, by ungodly desires or prideful, arrogant desires, or someone who just wants a, a piece of political capital. And the Jewish elders could see through all of that. They didn't like Romans, they didn't like Roman occupation, they didn't like Romans being in their presence. And yet the Jewish elders went to Jesus on behalf of this centurion and said, Jesus, he is a worthy man. He's someone that you should do this for because he loves our nation. He supported our synagogue. And that wasn't just reflective of political cynicism on the part of this particular Roman centurion. It was a reflection that he had been a changed man. There was something different. Maybe he was now an outsider who believed in what the, the Old Testament taught. Maybe he was a God-fearer, someone who sought after God. The text doesn't go as far to say that, but he was changed. There was something different about this centurion. On top of that, when he finally interacted with Jesus, he modeled what faith looks like. When Jesus was nearing uh, the, 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 the house, and by the way, that's a pretty insightful, uh, insightful situation as well, the, the centurion did not presume to come into Jesus' presence. It isn't false humility. He also didn't invite Jesus into his home. That's also not pretense. See, this Roman centurion knew that in Jewish religious culture, if a Jew spent time in the presence of a Gentile, that Jew would become ritually unclean and have to bathe before he could participate in his practice of worship. This centurion knew that if Jesus went into his house, that... Jesus, as a Jew, would become ceremonially unclean and would have to bathe before He could participate in any other activity of worship. And so the reason He was at arm's length from Jesus wasn't because of some false pretense. It wasn't because He was trying to order other people to do His bidding for Him. It was simply a respect for Jewish religious culture. He understood what it would mean to be ceremonially unclean. And so when he sent word to Jesus, he said, don't come under my roof, I don't presume that you should be here, and acknowledged this statement. He said, I'm a man under authority. I know what it's like to say to someone, do this, and to say to my servant, do that, and they do it. See, what this centurion had heard about Jesus is that he had authority. He could just speak a word. And illness go away. He could speak a word and the dead be raised. He could speak a word and something miraculous would happen. And that was his testimony through someone else, through another servant to Jesus saying, I know you're a man under authority, and I trust that if you just say the word, what I've requested can happen. That's a model of faith. Do you believe Jesus that powerfully? Do you believe that if you just bowed your heart before God and prayed to Him and trusted Him to intervene in a situation that He could or would? We should. He is absolutely capable. This centurion modeled faith in Jesus. Let me tell you another character that we find in the story. We'd miss them if we're not careful. How about the messengers who testified about Jesus? Thought about that? We wouldn't have this story if somebody hadn't told a centurion about Jesus. Did you catch that? A centurion had a servant, verse 2, who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard, verse 3, about Jesus, somebody told somebody who told a centurion that there was somebody who could help his servant. Some of us are products of unnamed messengers. Messengers aren't laid out in the text, don't know who they were. Don't know if it was someone who had been healed by Jesus. Don't know if it was someone in the Capernaum area that had witnessed a miracle of Jesus. Don't know who it was. Don't know if it was a disciple who had told somebody about Jesus or someone who had specifically indicated, this is what Jesus did for me. Centurion, He can do this for your servant. I don't know who it was. text doesn't tell us who it was. But aren't you glad that somebody told a centurion about Jesus? Because if somebody hadn't told a centurion about Jesus... Jesus would have never met this centurion and experienced such faith as Jesus said. He marveled at his faith. Wouldn't have healed that, that centurion servant. Think about this. How happy does that servant have to be that somebody told somebody about Jesus? We need to see that the messengers testified about Jesus. Jewish elders were part of this too. They served sort as of go betweens between the, the centurion and Jesus. That's uh, character number three. Let me give you the fourth character and the central figure in this story. It's Jesus. He is the central figure in the drama of faith. He is the he is the penultimate picture of what it means to put our faith and trust in someone who is able. Don't you notice what Jesus did. Catch this verse six. And Jesus went with. Them. I mentioned before that it would have made Jesus ceremonially or ritually unclean in order to step into that Gentile's house. And Jesus went with them. If you skip over, if you're a reader of Scripture, if you skip over to the book of Acts chapter 10, where you had that story of Peter and Cornelius, Peter was really troubled by the fact that God asked him to go with Gentiles. This is why. Because it would have made Peter ceremonially, ritually unclean. And he had not experienced uncleanness in that category. And yet, God sent Peter for the advancement of the gospel. I want you to get this. Jesus went, went willingly and knew that going into a Gentile's house, touching a Gentile, healing a Gentile's servant, would have made him ritually unclean. There's a picture of the gospel here. Should you get this? Jesus is not afraid to enter the presence of uncleanliness. Jesus is not afraid to enter the presence of sinfulness. Jesus is not afraid to enter the presence of a room where death is present. Jesus is not afraid to enter the presence of people where sin permeates. Ultimately, and Jesus went with them is a true declaration of the incarnation of Jesus, where He stepped out of heaven and came down to a place where all of us are ritually unclean. All of us are ceremonially impure. If any of us wanted to go to God on our own goodness and merit, we would fall staggeringly short of God's expectation of holiness. Not just in a picture format, not just in an Old Testament format where if Jesus stepped in the presence of a Gentile, He would need to bathe before He went back to worship. No, in a real sense, Jesus entered a world that has been tainted by human sin. And beyond that, He went to the cross not just to be tainted by human sin, not just to touch sinners, not just to be around those who are wicked and unrighteous. Second Corinthians 5.21 says Jesus became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to hear this. Jesus went with them to go into that house, even if it meant being ceremonially unclean because He knew a year and a half later He would go to the cross and become impurity for people all over the world like you and me to experience holiness and forgiveness and righteousness because of His death and resurrection on the cross. Jesus was willing to be made ceremonially unclean. Did you notice what else? He marvelled at the faith of the centurion. That fascinates me. Jesus, in our minds, should never be astonished. Okay, he spoke the world into existence. We sang "How Great Thou Art" this morning in our worship. I read this morning in my devotion time from Psalm 145, where the psalmist acknowledges the greatness, the exceeding greatness of God, and it is his responsibility to tell the greatness of God to everyone that he's around, and we had an opportunity to do that in practice this morning. I mean, God is great. He spoke the world into existence. He knew before he made anything what all things would be. He is in control, and Jesus is God incarnate. He was not surprised by the centurion coming to him. He was not surprised by the need of the servant to be healed. He was not surprised by those things. He was not surprised by even going to the cross. Folks, he knew that. He anticipated that he would experience death on a cross and separation from his father. He knew all of these things, and yet he marveled at this man's faith. I think it expresses the reality that Jesus is fully human and fully God. It also expresses something that I think should be beautiful for all of us. He did not commend, get this, he did not commend the centurion's character. He didn't say about the centurion, you're such a humble man. He didn't say about the centurion, I appreciate the fact that you respect Jewish culture and religion. Some of you are tremendously generous people. I'm thankful for that. Our church is thankful for that. Many people across the world have been blessed by your generosity. The Jewish people were blessed by the generosity of the centurion. But I want you to notice, Jesus did not marvel or commend the centurion's generosity. He didn't say thank you for giving. He didn't say thank you for being a changed man. He didn't say thank you for your character. He didn't say thank you for your compassion. And being different than the rest of the Gentiles in the world who don't have compassion for their slaves. You know what He commended? He commended... The man's faith. I I think it goes without saying that if you want to have the attention of Jesus, He's not waiting on you to behave better. He's not waiting on you to give anymore. He's not waiting on you to do something in order to get His attention. He invites you to simply believe. Believe. When we put our trust in Jesus at whatever category that looks like, as a lost person in saving faith, as a Christian in trusting faith, and in sustaining faith, if you want the attention of Jesus, believe. He marveled at the man's faith. I want you to get this too. He healed the servant with a mere word. Did you catch that? In fact, this is so stunningly matter-of-fact that it should just throw us a curve. Notice this. Catch this. When Jesus heard these things, He marveled and to the crowd that followed Him. He said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. You know what staggers me about that? The text doesn't tell us how He healed. There Are other places where Jesus took a blind man and he spit on the ground, he made mud, he put it on his eyes? I mean, that's not really the way I'd want to be healed, but if I was blind, I'd take whatever way Jesus chose to heal me, right? There are other times where Jesus put His hands on somebody and healed them. There are other times where Jesus touched lepers, touched the untouchable and healed them. This text doesn't tell us how He healed. I'm going to tell you something, that should be tremendously encouraging for us today. Here's why. Some of you know somebody who needs Jesus. Some of you are going through some things that you need Jesus to heal, to intervene, to step in the situation. And you know what? I can tell you about Jesus from the Bible. I can preach the gospel to you. I believe the Holy Spirit is at work in our room, drawing our hearts and lives to Him and helping us grow in faith. But I cannot introduce you to the flesh and blood Jesus who will walk down this aisle, touch you and heal you. Because Jesus incarnate is in heaven. But this text tells us we don't have to have Jesus physically walking in our presence to do anything about what we've got going on. Jesus doesn't need to be in proximity to us because He is Lord over time and space and all circumstances. He healed the servant without even being in the room. That's why when you and I go to the Lord in prayer, and He seems so far away, He's really not. He's indwelling with us with the Holy Spirit. But physically, He's not in the room. Physically, we don't have Jesus walking in our midst. He can still heal, folks. He can still save. He can still rescue. He can still redeem, because Jesus is Lord of all. Let me give you a few applications. And then we'll close up with a story. Application number one. Intercede to Jesus for someone. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. And when we do, I'm going to ask as many of you as are able and are willing, if you have someone that you know needs Jesus, will you pray for them? The centurion went to Jesus about a servant who needed healing and received healing for his servant. Somebody interceded on behalf of Jesus to the centurion. Somebody told the centurion about Jesus. Somebody in your past took you to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. One of the reasons Ricky was saved recently and was baptized is because his mom and dad and his grandparents and his great-grandparents and his, his, his children's minister and his church staff have been praying for him. If you want to see God at work in the hearts and lives of people, then here's what our responsibility is. It's to take people to God in faith. Okay? So I want you to intercede on behalf of someone for Jesus. Let me give you a second application. Tell someone about Jesus. Tell someone about Jesus. I love the fact that the messengers who told the centurion about Jesus are unnamed. I love that. There's going to come a day when none of our names are going to be in lights in heaven. None of us are going to be honored in heaven for what we told. Because everyone's going to be pointing to Jesus, the one who saved and redeemed and healed and glorified the Father through His work. But you know what? those unnamed messengers, those people who told people about Jesus, there's going to be a sense of, man, I'm glad I did that. And somebody's going to be glad that you did that. Somebody's going to be glad that you told them about Jesus. Will you tell someone about Jesus? Say, so what do I say? Don't underestimate the power of a testimony, folks. Don't underestimate the power of what God did for you. Just sharing that for someone else. Say, God did this for me. God, Jesus changed this in my life. Jesus forgave me. Don't underestimate what that can do in the heart and life of someone who needs to meet Jesus. give you a third application. This one's connected. Give thanks for the one or for the ones who brought you to Jesus. Aren't you glad for that person who told you about Christ? I know I am. I'm glad for a mom and dad who made sure I knew the gospel. I'm glad for a mom who never stopped praying for her children. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that preacher. I don't remember who that preacher was on my birthday, July 8th, 1998. He was preaching at a Rick Gage uh, youth camp at Liberty University. I'm glad for that preacher who preached the gospel that night when it became clear to me that I needed to turn my life over to Christ. don't remember His name. Uh, but God knows. Why don't you take a moment today and thank God for the person or for the persons that told you about Christ. Because you would spend eternity separated from God in hell if someone didn't tell you about Jesus. Let me give you application number four. Bring your faith or your lack of faith to Jesus today. I don't know what you have sitting in the seat that you're in. Some of you, your situation may have overcome your faith. You may not have faith like the centurion. In fact, most of the time we don't. Most of the time we need some proof before we're going to pray in faith. Most of the time we need God to work so that we can believe. I just want to remind you, God's already worked. He's already saved. He's already redeemed. He's already done so much in your life. So if you have great faith today, fantastic! Bring it to Jesus and bring a situation trusting Him to be at work. And if you have no faith, or if you have little faith, bring that to Jesus too. Because the issue is not how much faith you have, it's the person you have faith in that matters. Let me close with this illustration. I've used it before, but I think it just gets at the heart of what the invitation is today. Imagine you decided to go on a fishing trip in the ocean, and you went on a boat, you went out on the ocean, you had a storm, like we've had several storms recently, storm that, that capsized the boat, flipped it over, and you're hanging out in the ocean on a piece of driftwood, holding on, trying to stay alive long enough for somebody to come rescue you. Coast Guard shows up, they heard your distress call before the boat capsized. They heard that, they showed up, they show up and they throw a life preserver attached to a rope to you. What are you going to do? Well, obviously, every single sane person that has ever lived in the world is going to let go of the driftwood that they're holding on to and they're going to take hold of that life preserver. Folks, that's what saving faith is. Saving faith is realizing that I can no longer hold on to anything that I've done in order to receive salvation, that I need to hold on to what Jesus did and Jesus alone in order to receive rescue and redemption. To connect it to this story, let me, get to, let me make this connection. The centurion did not say to Jesus, Hey, I've been generous. Will you do me a favor? Hey, I respect your religion. Will you do me a favor? The centurion said, I'm not worthy. Yet I still presume to ask. That's what coming to Jesus in faith looks like. If you're here today, and you haven't yet trusted Jesus to be your Savior, don't come to Him with some bargain. God, I've I've been nicer than I used to be. I've been generous it won't work. Saving faith doesn't rely on anything you've done. It relies fully on the fact that Jesus came willing in this story to be ceremonially unclean, willing in the rest of the gospel account, to take your sin on his on shoulders so that you could be forgiven. Will you put your faith in Jesus today? Will you trust him? Christian? Who do you have that needs you to take them to God in faith? The invitation will be open for you to come at this altar and pray for those folks. The invitation will be open for you to receive Jesus and put your faith in Him alone. I'm going to ask if you would to stand as we close in a time of invitation. Lord Jesus, I'm humbled by the fact that you would step out of heaven and onto this sinful earth so that I could be forgiven and redeemed. I'm startled by the fact that You would take on my sin. And I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that You didn't bargain with me. That You offered me the opportunity to have faith and forgiveness. And You saved me out of Your glory and grace. Lord, I'm thankful for those who told me about You, prayed for me, interceded for me, Lord God, I pray that You'd make our church a church that intercedes on behalf of others. That simply believes that You will save and You will redeem. And we believe it, so we pray it. We ask, we, we, we invite, we tell, because we believe You want to save. I pray, Heavenly Father, that You'd work in our hearts, through our hearts as followers of Christ, to pray for others. And I pray, Heavenly Father, if there's one here that has yet to trust You as Lord and Savior, pray that today would be the day that they let go of all those other things they're relying on. They trust in you alone. Pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.